that really there's just no end to how the Bible is helping us to see these issues. Let me recap for just a second. I want to keep before us the question of why, why has my captivity persisted? I think if, if, we're, if we're all talking from the same page this morning, then we're all aware that we're not just talking about generic sin in this series. Just the fact that, well, every once in a while people stumble into sin. It just happens. Now we're talking specifically about enslavement, captivity, jail cell type issues. Things that tend to hang around and become a worn out part of our life. And, and in some ways shape who we are. And they've been touching our lives probably for many years and they touch us in pretty effective ways. That's really what we're after in this series. But we've raised the question, why, why does captivity exist and why does it persist? Why does it keep going on? And last week we talked a little bit about getting a biblical view of the fact that we live in the kingdom of this world and in the kingdom of God simultaneously. And in God's economy, those two things exist together. And so that leaves in our reality the presence of sin. The reality that sin is available. We have not been set free completely from these bodies. The flesh, the weakness that's there, the desires and cravings that exist in our flesh bodies, that when we get a glorified body, that, that won't, won't be the case anymore. That will be a great day, right? There will no longer be any messages in heaven about indwelling sin. That will all be over with. But right now, that's a major component of our lives. We keep dealing with this sin issue, and it's understandable why we do, biblically. But today I want to I push a little bit farther into the issue of why does captivity persist beyond just the generic sense that there is weakness out there, there's low pressure in us that's waiting an opportunity for sin to manifest itself. What about the issue that's in us about our, our willingness to be free? Do we, do we really want freedom? Because that's a major issue as well. And so I've titled the message today, What Do You Really Want? Let's look here in John chapter 5. This is an interesting story. I've identified it as a story of a question and a command. John 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic, called Bethesda, which has five colonnades. And some of your translations will say, um, let's see, it's after this verse, I guess. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And it says, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And I don't know about you, but doesn't that strike you as an odd question? To ask a guy who for 38 years has been an invalid who's hanging around a, a healing pool, but yet Jesus still asks it. 
Verse 7, The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now, if you cannot skirt too quickly past the details of this story. This is a man living in a jail cell, isn't it? For 38 years. And we may see it a little bit differently than some of our own jail cells because there's a, there's a physical dynamic here. But this is a man who is facing an issue in his life that he would identify is beyond his ability, beyond his control. He can't seem to change it. And for 38 years, he has had an interest in it going away. He has lived for 38 years or for however long in this particular setting where, if you can get this scene, you walk up onto this, this pool where the waters will, will move and gathered around it is a, a vast amount, a huge crowd of invalids, the blind, the broken, the down and out of society. And don't, don't dress this up. This is, there's, no one was, was parking their van with a wheelchair lift and, and driving up to sit next to the pool. These were people who didn't have that kind of care. These were people in physical conditions that and, and probably would have turned some people's stomachs. And there was a vast crowd of them. And they would gather here and somebody was gracious enough to build these colonnades. So there was, there was a place for them to get out of the sun while they waited to see if the water would move and they could try and rush to the water. And this particular man, he had no one to help him get there. So I, you know, what was his condition like? Would he have had to pull himself by his arms that didn't work well? And how many more were like that? And how many would you see as the waters or somebody perceived the waters were moving? They began to try and, and pull themselves towards the water. I mean, this, this was a horrible scene. The only thing perhaps more horrible was the sense of this man for 38 years. I can't get rid of this. My life is bound up. I live within the boundaries of what this condition has spelled out for me. Now, that's... Being an invalid was unique to him. Now, what might be unique to us might be something different. There might be boundary lines in our lives that for 38 months, years, however long, have existed in our lives that we have a similar feeling about. I just don't feel like I've been able to be different in this category of my life. That's just kind of who I am. Well, that's who he was. And in this moment, a question gets asked to this man. In spite of all this struggle, he gets asked, do you want to be healed? I like what Ken Hughes says in his commentary on John. He says, I believe that that is the question Christ asks all of us. I believe it summarizes the great problem in our lives. Do you want to be well? Few things hamper the gracious work of Christ in our lives more than our response to this question. We hear the promises of God, and at first our hearts are warmed, and we respond to them, or at least we think we respond to them. But then we hear the promises again, and we again want to be warmed. This cycle continues in our life, but nothing 
ever happens. Is that you? Coming to church, hearing over and over and over again, but in certain categories of your life, nothing is ever happening. Why? Because although we think and say we want to be healed in our heart of hearts, we really do not. And the first thing that has to be decided on for this man is, do you really want this? Do you really, really want this? And I'm going to talk in a little while towards the end here why that's a difficult question to answer. But notice the next thing that Jesus does. The next utterance out of Jesus' mouth, he goes from a question to a command. He's going to pronounce the Word of God. And this is the living Word of God standing in front of this man who is speaking the Word of God to him. So, you and I have a different encounter, but we are still encountering the Word of God. Today we're going to encounter the Word of God. It will not be a, a body wrapped in Middle Eastern clothing speaking in Aramaic, but it's going to be the recorded Word of God that's going to speak to us. And it's going to say something like this about our issue. Rise, take up your pallet, and walk. And in that moment, this man could have responded. Can you imagine what he could have said in that moment? Huh, yeah, right, Jesus. That's easy for you to say. No, I don't, you don't understand, Jesus. This has been 38 years. I've tried everything for 38 years. Out of, out of the, the tinge of bitterness could have been in his voice by now. He could have been bathed in unbelief, couldn't he? His experience told him anything, but he could stand. And the only thing different, the only thing different he had before he puts his feet on the ground is the Word of God. That's the only thing he has. He's got no evidence that when he sticks his feet down, his legs are going to work, he's going to stand up, pick up his pallet, and going to be able to walk. All he has is the Word of God. Verses 38 years of experience. How many times do you think this man tried to walk? How many times do you think he managed to get to the water, touch the water, and then try and walk? He had touched the miraculous before. The man lived by a pool that was, that was touted for being a miraculous place. And it didn't work. 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 And one day, Jesus comes along and says, stand up. And all he has is a word from God. But he believes it, doesn't he? He believes the Word of God. He believes the Word of God is more true than his 38 years of experience. And one of the issues that and anyone who is, who is dealing with jail cell issues is, is you're facing this battle today. There is, there is this battle going on. The Bible... Is, is being silenced today. The Word of God is being silenced. The crowd noise for the Word of God to reach my heart and penetrate it like this is being silenced. Whether it's, whether it's because we're just too busy, whether it's because we've validated too many voices, we've got too many people that we've, we've put them on some pedestal, we've given them some title, we've given our culture permission to define things for us, and when they say, this is what's going on in your life and you can't be free, 
We've listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And when the voice of the Word of God comes to us, we don't believe it. We just don't. And then when you add to that the evidence from my own life, if I've been battling something for 38 years, the evidence in my life is I can't be free. The specialist said I can't be free. My mom and them got a problem like this too, and they don't seem to be free. And I ain't been free for 38 years, and the Word of God says I can be free. I don't believe it. Isn't that the truth? Come on. Isn't that where we live? That's where this guy's living. But he believed in the face of all that. And his life is completely changed. To believe the Bible versus what the world says, or my personal experience, is going to be a challenge. Remember, the Bible tells you that the the Word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness. The, the Bible actually tells us that the wisdom of God cannot, cannot, not a little bit, cannot be understood by the natural man because it is spiritually discerned. It needs the Holy Spirit to open up the truth of the Word of God to anybody who reads it and wants it to be a living word to them. So the natural man cannot understand. So you are going to face this battle at some point when you stand face to face with the, the jail cell of your life and the Word of God comes and says you can be free. You're going to have an onslaught of foolishness. Touch that. It's, your experience is going to say that's foolish to believe that. The people around you are going to say it's foolish. The specialists are going to say it's foolish. Our culture is going to say it's foolish. But yet today, we, we need to be convinced of what does the Bible say to us about freedom. Now, I, I'm going to pose this in the, in the realm of two questions in particular that we will focus on for a moment. One is, what does the Bible expect from my life? What does the Bible expect from my life? Answer that question independently of what your 38 years is leading you to expect in the 39th year. What does the Bible expect from my life? Secondly, what does the Bible make me responsible for? We live in a blame-shifting society. Nobody is the way they are because of anything they've done. Your mom and them did it. Your background. Something out of your control. You're where you are and you're really not responsible for it. Well, is that, is that how the Bible sounds? If the Bible sounds that way, let's all agree together. That's how the Bible describes us, yeah. But if the Bible doesn't sound that way, if the Bible finds us under the the weight of its expectations, it expects something for our lives, and then it calls us to be responsible in those areas, then, then I have to come to grips with that. If my life is not in those categories correct, I have to come to grips with that. There's responsibility in my life. So the question that Jesus asks is boils down to, what do you really want? What do you really, really want this morning? Now let's, let's look at a bunch of passages here. Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read several passages together this morning. And I'm going to tell you my intention right from the outset. At some point here, I'm, I am wanting to hear you cry, Uncle, okay, all right already. Can we go have lunch now? It is my intention this morning to bury you under the weight of evidence 
And quite honestly, I'm really not going to be dealing with all that's there. I'm going to give you a spoonful of all that the Bible says, but, but it will be sufficient to bury us. Galatians chapter 5, we looked at this passage last week, and I want you to specifically look and listen for expectations and responsibilities. Expectations that the Bible has for our lives and responsibilities that we have in light of those expectations. Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now stop right there. We could stop right here, couldn't we? I mean, let's, let's talk about the struggle going on in our life. The battleground. The strong issues. The controlling issues that we feel like we just can't seem to stop. Well, that doesn't sound like this passage. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That changes my expectation. The Bible expects something different about my life. If I've grown convinced that I can't stop doing this, I have grown convinced of something that the Bible will not agree with me about. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, there's an explanation. But, there's that adversative change here. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And listen to these works, because all these works can be very addictive, very controlling. They could be the label over your jail cell. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Let me just stop on this one. There's a, there's a fancy name for people who have fits of anger. I don't remember the name of it, but it's, it's one of those great terminologies that the psychological world has created for a guy who has anger management problems. You know what I find very interesting about people who have anger management problems is that they actually only have anger management problems. They manage to only have anger management problems in certain categories of their life. And it tends to be their wife and their children. I wonder why they don't have an anger management problem at the guy who's six foot six, two hundred and fifty eight pounds. Why don't they have an anger management problem with him? Why don't they have an anger management problem with their boss who could fire their behind if they're disrespectful? Why do they tend to be fine until they drive in the driveway and then they have an anger management problem? See, we're, we get convinced that it's it's a disorder. You have this disorder about you. Well, it's very interesting how you regulate your disorder. The Bible just simply calls it the works of the flesh. Outbursts of anger is in the category of the works of the flesh. Title it whatever you want, but the Bible simply calls it outbursts of anger as a work of the flesh. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Right? I don't even need to go into that one. There's so much being said by the world about drunkenness. But here we find it in the list of the works of the flesh. We can call it what the Bible calls it or we can call it something else. If we call it something else, then we're going to have to subscribe to something else's remedy to it. But in the Bible, drunkenness is a work of the flesh. 
orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, self-control, self-control. Now, do you see how the Bible intentionally sets these things over and against each other? Works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. And those, I'm sorry, verse, against such things there is no law, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Clearly, now what's the expectation I walk away from this passage with? It explains to me that there are works of the flesh and there are fruit of the Spirit and it sets them against each other and then it portrays the believer as in one category or the other. Now, what are, which category do you expect your life will be in line with just based on this passage? Not based on your 38 years I've never walked. Self-control, I've never had. It's been 38 years. I've never had self-control in 38 years. Well, not based on you, based on what the Bible says. Does it give you any reason to believe that you should expect the fruit of the Spirit or should you expect the works of the flesh in your life? I would think it would expect, we would expect to see the fruit of the Spirit. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter. Chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We are well equipped. Our toolbox is full for a life of godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You're going to partake in the very life of God now. Having escaped, past tense, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We just read a whole long list of sinful desires in Galatians 5. And here we're hearing the news that we have escaped somehow this world of corruption because of sinful desire. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort. That sounds like responsibility, doesn't it? We've just moved from expectation to responsibility. Here's the expectation the Bible has for my life, and here's the responsibility that it calls me to have. For this very reason, because these things are true, because the Bible expects these things, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Does this mess with your expectations? Specifically, in the category of your own jail cell, do you anticipate that you really can't get out of that cell? That you really just can't stop doing this? That way, I've been doing it for 38 years. I mean, but does the Bible sound this way? Does the Bible sound like there are going to be issues that you're just not going to overcome them? War against them all you want. They're going to, at the end of the day, they'll still be the dominant feature in your life. I can't read this passage and come away with that. What I can come away with, if I'm going to be honest with the passage, is the Bible has expectations, and if there's a flaw in this equation, it's me. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Are we making every effort? It's very easy just to say how, you know, I'm so busy, you know, this last time I read the Bible. Last thing. Well, well, knowledge is in this equation. Apparently, for me to actually live in the freedom that I've been granted, knowledge is going to have to be added. And self-control is going to have to be added. And steadfastness, keeping at it, keep going, get up again, go after it again, keep going, is going to have to be in the equation as well. Now, if I find that, well, when I fall down, I don't get up. Time out, time out. Well, there's a fly in the ointment right there. Well, I don't know anything, you know. Well, you know, I just don't like to read. Okay, fly in the ointment number two. See, but let's let's not believe we can't be free. Let's examine: Do you really want to be free? You really, really want to? Do you want me to heal you? Well, when the Word of God speaks to me and it says these things to, it does put responsibility into my life. Let's read one more passage here. Romans chapter 6. If you have a, a, a sin jail cell that you're wrestling with, you, you should read this passage. You should know this passage. This passage should decorate your life. You should know it forwards and backwards. Because if, if I'm about to read a passage to you that is, it's got a bunch of foreign ideas to you, then you should immediately be informed if you've been a believer for more than a few weeks that you're not doing everything in your power. You are not. If you don't know this passage, if you haven't wrestled with this particular passage, then I'll tell you right now, you're not all that serious about dealing with your sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Or for whatever reason are we to continue in sin? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. See, there's no, there's no tolerance or room left right in that statement for that we too might continue to live inside of our jail cells. What Jesus accomplished on the cross and included us in it apparently has sufficient power 
to bring us to a walk of newness of life. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I mean, does this tweak your expectations? It tweaks mine. It helps me believe something different than my 38 years, or my 42 years, have convinced me of. Because they've been very convincing. There are issues that have been hung around my life that I've just kind of thought, you know, my skin color's white, my personality is this way, right? We just, that's just the way I am. Well, I don't think the Bible is wanting to deal with my skin color, but it is wanting to deal with some of the issues in me that are, that are sinful, that are limiting. Squash the joy that God intended to be in my life. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not Sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Does that mess with your expectations? And does it also introduce responsibility? Something has happened on my behalf. Something incredible took place at the cross. There's some mystery in this that that I'm not asked to figure out. I'm asked to accept it. And when I accept the reality of what's happened at the cross, it's... It's as though what Jesus did was He came to my jail cell with all the bars, with all the the strong ironwork there, and He took a key out, which only He holds, and He walked over to my cell, and I heard the click, the clink. And then He walked away. He invites me into freedom. And as a believer, by faith, all I need to do is get up, open the door, and go home. So you can get real convinced that, well, the, the door is still shut. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still trapped in this thing. Well, you, you need to study Romans. You need to study Romans 6. You need to become very convinced that, that any door that needed to be opened has been opened. The only act that needed to be done, death needed to be conquered so that sin could lose its authority and power over us, that's already occurred. The lock has already been unlocked. The key has already been inserted. There is no day of a key being awaited. Do not pray and ask God to come unlock your jail cell. It's already occurred. You can thank Him. You can celebrate it. But you cannot ask God to come and do it because it's not locked. Oh, but I think it's locked. Well, you're uninformed. Biblically. Which would be a great reason for us to stay in our cell because we think the door's not really open. But... What if I know? What Keith, I know that. I know the, the door's been unlocked. Well, then why are you still in the cell? Do you really want to be free? See, the next question becomes the next question, doesn't it? Because if I know that the door just needs to be pushed open, I just need to walk in what I've been told. Now the question is, why aren't I walking? I either really don't believe the door is open, or I just don't feel like it. We dress it up however we want to. And I know that there's 
challenging issues in each one of us. But in our challenging issues, there is a question of our desire, a question of our willingness. Colossians chapter 2, turn there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. Don't get in a jail cell. See to it. Responsibility. Your responsibility. See to it. You make sure that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And here's a great revelation. What is the tool of captivity? That gets used by the enemy. How do you and I get locked up? What are we locked up inside of? What are we deceived by? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. An empty deceit by the trickery of human ideas. Philosophy is the two Greek words phileo sophia. It's the love of wisdom. And in this sense it's used in a negative fashion. It's not the wisdom of God it's talking about. It's the ideas of man. See that no one takes you captive with their ideas. Or human traditions, your 38 years that you're so used to. See that you don't get taken captive by the fact that your struggle has been your struggle for so long and you start believing the idea that since it's been around for so long, you simply cannot be free. That's a captivity issue. If you believe that, you're staying in your cell. You're not going to go free. If you believe what somebody says about you, you believe what you need people to supply to you that's not biblical, that you think you need that, that's an idea. Listen, and there's something about our flesh that loves goofy ideas. Right? P.T. Barnum said there was a sucker born every minute. Right? We, 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 love, we love shortcuts. We love stuff that sounds too good to be true, because it's not true, but we love it. We love vacation deals. That's why people can call and say, no money down, and you can get... And, well, you know, I don't know, last time I heard somebody, but, well, tell me more. You know, we, we want some kind of a deal that just appeals to us. And that makes us very vulnerable to ideas that are lies. And they're, they're packaged with deception. And they're intended to trick us. See to it that you don't get taken captive by ideas. See, that would be why it's so critical that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, captivity in the realms of our life is an idea issue. It's a matter of what ideas are you believing about your life, about your condition, about the path to freedom. They're ideas. Briefly stated, captivity is the cell we live in, or you could say it's the cell we check into, when we have been deceived into believing the wrong ideas. You are in the jail cell you are in because you have made a decision to believe or to go on believing deceptive ideas about you and your life. That's why I'm in the cell I'm in. I made a decision about whether I would believe the ideas that were passed along to me that I maybe started to listen to when I was five or seven or ten or last year. At some point, the ideas came to me and I began to validate them. I began to believe them. They were packaged. They, they convinced me and I began to believe those things about myself, about goals, about ambitions, about how to be, how to look, what was significant. What made my life have meaning? I started buying into those things at some point 
and I reinforced them and reinforced them and believed them and believed them and believed them. And now, 38 years later, I'm being faced by the Word of God. And I have a decision to make. Can I get up, take my pallet, and go home? Or can I not? If we read the rest of this passage here, Colossians chapter 2, it moves from the issue of don't get taken captive to why not to be taken captive. What are the, what are the reasons for no captivity for the believer? Listen to this, verse 9. Here are the reasons. For in Him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here's, here's why. Here's why you're not supposed to be taken captive. Because in Christ, in the One who's come to save you and set you free, the fullness of deity dwells. He's God. God has come to deliver you. God Himself has come with His power, His wisdom, His insight. He's come to deliver you. This is not another man trying to help me. This is not my ideas. This is not my best effort. This is God Himself has come to set me free. That gives me the expectation that then I shouldn't be dwelling in a jail cell. I shouldn't live in this cell if God Himself is the one who's come to set me free. Second, verse 11. The different person you have become as a Christian. You're simply not the same person anymore that you once were apart from Christ. Listen to all that this quickly says about you. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Can I skip one? Oh, I did, verse 10. In Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And, verse 10, you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. You have been filled in Him. You've been filled. What does the Bible teach me I'm filled by? The Holy Spirit, who brings the fruit of the Spirit. I have a reason to expect that I'm not going to continue to be this way because I am different. I'm not the same guy I was before I knew Christ. There's something different about me. There's a different person living in me. The person of the Holy Spirit, with His power and His influence, is in my life. I should expect something is going to be different about me. I should have faith to believe my life could be different. Verse 11. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See, a new concept has come to the Christian that is not available to anybody else. You can actually put off the old man. You can put him off. See, if you're not a new man, you've got no other man to be. All you are is the old man. You can't put it off. You'd cease to exist, I guess. But as a Christian, you can put on the new man and put off. You have an ability to change your clothing, if you will. You didn't have that before, but now you do, which gives you reason to expect you can change whatever's happened in your life. Verse 12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's the Romans 6 issue. You've been united with Christ. His death was your death. His resurrection to new life, it is yours as well. God made sure of that. God didn't ask you for your participation in that. He looked down the quarters of time and He included you in what He was doing. You had no say-so in that deal. Christ was crucified once and you were in it. What happened before I was born? Exactly. So whether you understand that or signed on for it, it's yours. What was accomplished by Christ has been accomplished for you. 
and you receive the full benefit of it. That's now true in our lives. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses, God made us alive. At one point, if I was dealing with sin as a man trapped in depravity, dead in my trespasses and sin, I have no hope because I I can't even respond to God. It's not in me to want to do it. I'm not open to it. As a matter of fact, the natural mind is hostile to God. And I am dead. Dead people just don't respond real well. And that was my condition. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. But the Bible says that's no longer my condition. I've been made alive. I'm alive to God now. I am responsive to Him. I am wired to receive from Him, to be aware of His voice, to be motivated and touched and affected by Him. There's something different about me now. My sins have been forgiven. Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen, do you realize your sins and my sins made God hostile toward me? The righteousness of God opposes me in my sin. If I'm still in my sin, I don't have, a, I don't have this nice grandfatherly God who's just for everybody. That's not biblical. The righteous, holy, pure God is against sin. He's against it. But this informs me that He has forgiven me. All of my sin has been forgiven by Him. So now I have a God who is for me. He is gracious toward me. He is inclined toward me. He is proactive toward me. He cares about me in a way that my sin prohibited. It's not that God's arm is too short that it cannot save, but... Your sin has made a separation between you and your God so that He does not hear. That's no longer my issue. I don't have that issue anymore as a believer. God is on my side, working feverishly in my favor. But if that's the case, I have a reason to believe. I can get out of this cell. I can, I can stop doing this. I can start being different. And then the last thing, something that He's done. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. See, so, if you want to boil it down, I kind of like to say it this way, the reason to expect you and I would be different is because of the, the person and work of Christ and the difference in me. Those would be the reasons. The person, He's God, The work, he disarmed the rulers, he overcame sin, he triumphed over it, he met the measure of perfection so God could accept me. All that's been done. And he changed me. I'm not the same person. The Spirit of God has come and made me a new creation. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. See, I've got to factor all that stuff in when the Son of God comes to me with the Word of God and says, Keith, rise, open the door, and walk free. Now, I can argue with him. I can say, Jesus... 38 years, man. I don't think I can do it. I just know I'm going to fall right back into this tomorrow. I can say all that stuff. It doesn't change the truth. and It, doesn't, it really reveals whether I'm simply believing the truth. I have reason to believe. I have all the grace I need to get up, walk out of the cell, and walk away. And to believe otherwise is to elevate my experience above the Bible. Now, if the Bible expects me to be free from sin's mastery, now please, I'm going to take about ten minutes on this point, so please stay with me very carefully because I think this will unlock mystery for us. 
If the Bible expects me to be free from sin's mastery, then why am I still in a jail cell? Now here's why. Because I want something in that cell. There's something in that cell I want. Now I don't like all the conditions in the cell, but there's something in there I like. And I want it. How many of you guys have ever gone crabbing? See your hands. Experienced crabbers here. Not crabby people, crabbing. You know, if you use the big basket looking things, the, the cages, and you, know, you know how it works. It's a little hole that the crab can kind of climb up into. And on the bottom, there's something down there. What is that? Bait. Bait, right? So the crab surveys the situation, and at first, in his ignorance, he gets deceived, doesn't he? He gets into the trap by deception. He thinks, well, I just I walk up this little ramp, I fall down inside, and he doesn't realize that the ramp was built in such a way that he can't get out now. And he falls down inside, and he begins to eat the bait. He begins to love the bait. Now, if you're like me, I was a kid when I would go crabbing, so I, I, I like to. I was like a crab terrorist. You know, my goal in life was to agitate them. If they were in the hamper, you shook them up, you made them all freak out, got them all mad, poked at them. But if they were inside the cage, you know, you kind of did that to them too. But well, interesting thing, though, as I look back, in that moment when you pick them up out of the water and you're holding them in the cage, in that moment they all know, "Oops, we're in a cage." <laughs> you know, the trick is over. I'm in a cage. But if you set them back down in the water, it's not as though they go to work trying to figure out, okay, guys, we need a plan. Let's cut the wires. Let's, let's, let's get together here. I mean, just use your clauses. There's no planning going on. You know what they go back to? The bait. Even though they know they're in a cell. I don't think they fully realize they're about to be cooked, but they know they're in a cell. Freedom has just become severely limited. But, hey, at least we got bait. <laughs> so they just hang around and eat the bait. See, the reason why we live in jail cells, because one, we got deceived and tricked into getting in. But the key thing to recognize is what was there in the first place that appealed to me, that made me want to climb through the hoops to get in. Because whatever that thing is, that's what will keep me there too. That's what might make me reconsider when Jesus asks the question, do you, do you want to be set free? I don't know. That would mean no more bait. Wow, that's a good question, Jesus. If you study Jesus, Luke chapter 4, he meets temptation. We, we get to go behind the scenes with temptation in the wilderness. And, and there's an appeal to Jesus here. And if you look at what he is being tempted with, you will, you will understand the anatomy of temptation. You'll understand how it's designed, what the scheme of it is. The scheme of temptation is to find something that's appropriate to you as a particular person that you would have an interest in. And then to use it as bait. That's exactly what the devil does with Jesus. He, he tempts Jesus with that which would have been appropriate to tempt the Son of God with. He, he really was tempting him 
to receive the benefits of the Son of God apart from the plan of God. You don't, you don't need to go to the cross to get that here. Look, I will, I will give you all these kingdoms as far as your eye can see. Well, you know, guess what? In the economy of God, Jesus gets all the kingdoms, doesn't he? But in Satan's plan, you can get them right now. You, you don't need to wait. You don't need to do all that other stuff. I'm not sure exactly. I don't think the devil knew all that Jesus was up to, but whatever he was there for, if he could derail it, he was interested. You don't need to go through all that. You know what? How about, how about a temptation for you to trust God? Throw yourself down from here. He'll bear you up. Right? And these are the appropriate things to tempt the Son of God with. And whatever there is about you or about me, the devil is going to find the appropriate category to tempt us in. Your bait is not my bait. And my bait may not be yours. But whatever's tempting me is going to be appropriate to me. But listen, listen to the key that John Piper identifies about Jesus handling temptation. He says, I want you to see a beautiful contrast here between two sources of power. Remember in Luke 4, Satan tempted Jesus to avail himself of his rights and power as God's son to get the pleasure of food, the glory of a world ruler, and the acclaim of a wonder-working Messiah at the door of the temple. But Jesus kept his face set towards the cross and renounced that kind of power. The result... It's given in verse 14. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. He, listen, he refused to seek pleasure and power by Satan's agenda, and the result was the enjoyment of the power of God. If you take the bait, you're going to forfeit something else in your life. You seek pleasure at the hands of bait, you will forfeit the pleasure at the hand of God. You will forfeit pleasure. You will lose pleasure. You will settle for less pleasure. See, now, the, the bait deceiver doesn't tell you that on the way in. He doesn't mention that there is any other pleasure. He simply says this. It's the ultimate pleasure for you. You know it. And if you don't know differently, you're in trouble. Because that pleasure looks like, I'm going for it. Well, just remember, you go for that pleasure at the expense of another pleasure. The bait will cost you another pleasure. The same thing is true for us. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Every pleasure and every power offered to you in the way of sin will destroy your pleasure in the long run and rob you of all power in the end. But if you resist and draw near to God, he will come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and everything you think you have given up will be repaid 100-fold. You were made for God and nothing can compare with being filled with the power of His Spirit. See, the deception doesn't inform you of what the truth needed to inform you of. The reward and pleasure of God is greater than the reward and pleasure of sin. And we'll talk about that more at another point. If you don't start wanting the right thing, then you'll never get free from your bondage. You'll never choose to walk out of your jail cell. People choose to stay in their cell because they want something that's there. Listen to this thought from Jim Boyce and Philip Ryken. Why is it that the mind chooses one thing rather than another? Jonathan Edwards asked, well, he asked that, I'm sorry. 
He answered that the mind chooses what it does because of motives. The mind is not neutral. It thinks some things are better than other things. And because it thinks some things are better than other things, it chooses what it judges to be best. We choose what we think is the most desirable course of action. Whether that's another drink, whether it's another bite to eat, whether it is sleep in, don't take that job, it looks too hard. All those things are our minds weighing ideas. And if we're not careful, we will be taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit and believe this thing will be more pleasurable for me than this thing will be. And there's the moment of deception. And I choose the bait. And I choose to stay in my cell. Now listen for a moment, because freedom sounds great until you realize freedom means put down the bait and don't pursue pleasure in it anymore. I don't know if I want to do that, because I didn't get in this jail cell by accident. I chose this jail cell because something in there was attractive to me. And that something will keep you in it. Now think for a moment with me. What might I want in my jail cell? Now here's just a few quick thoughts. How about worldly reward? Maybe I want the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Maybe I want fame and acclaim. Maybe I want popularity. Maybe I want people to think much of me and for the world to make a big deal about me. And if you're saying walk free, well, uh, but, but see, I, I want something from people, you see. I want to be somebody in their eyes. And you're telling me I've got to put that down. Ah, ooh, I don't know. Do you want to be healed? Mm, huh, I don't know. How about fleshly pleasure? Sensual pleasure? Physical euphoria? Why, why, does, why does somebody choose to overeat? Because food tastes good, doesn't it? We can all be honest here. To not do that would mean I, I would have to give up the pleasure. You don't understand? My taste buds throw a party anytime they're introduced to these particular items. It is a blast. I mean, Food Network has... They had to change that to Fat Network, I think. But it has introduced us to all the, all the great fun your mouth can be having. <laughs> and there's pleasure in that. I mean, let's face it. To walk away from that costs something. There's pleasure involved. Why does one choose lust? Why does a man take a second look? A third and a more intent look and change materials? Why does he do that? Oh, I just can't control myself. Oh, really? Is that why? Or is it that you enjoy what you're looking at? There's a sense of pleasure in what you're experiencing in that look. So therefore you look again and again because of the pleasure that's there. And eventually the pleasure becomes so 
effective in your life that you start believing, I can't stop. Well, it's not true. How about this one? This is one I don't think people think through very well. How about the freedom from failing? This is a lot of people, so I hope you'll give a little room for this thought in your life. If I, you know, my life has an issue in it. It is a dominant issue. It is, it is a mood issue. It is a, um, it's an alcohol issue. It is, it is a factor that people respect the fact that there's a limitation in my life. And so I live within this jail cell. Now, for me to get free of that jail cell is going to introduce me to a level of responsibility that I don't know that I really want. Because if, if I remove my excuse from my life, well, now I have to shoulder responsibilities. I have to perform relationally on my job. Oh, I'm afraid to fail. If I took that job, but well, you could take that job because you're smart enough and you have the ability, but in you there's this racing fear. <laughs> what are you afraid of? Well, I'm, I'm afraid I'd fail at that and everybody would think I'm an idiot. Oh, oh, so you're out to get everybody to think you're not an idiot. That's the bait for you. And you do whatever you can to keep eating that bait and you'll stay right in your cell. See, if I don't have to get out and lead a normal life, I can't screw it up. And everybody understands, see, because I've got this problem in my life. And if it weren't for this problem, which probably isn't my fault anyway, if it weren't for this problem, sure, I'd be doing all the things you're doing. Sure, I'd be consistent like you are. Sure, I'd take on those responsibilities like you do. But you see, you understand, it's, you know, the, I've got this thing going on in my life. And it's almost more attractive to say, um, you know, I've got, you know, got a drinking problem. It's almost more attractive to say that than to get outside of the cell and screw up at some stuff. Take on the role of being a dad and screw it up. Better than staying in the cell, but you understand. See, I don't want to face the failure of that. Everybody gets to face the failure. I get to fail on a daily basis as a husband and a father. Or I can pull out a bottle and escape. It's tempting. I mean, I don't really face that temptation. I don't want to mislead you and think that I do. But for some, it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a worthy temptation. It's a bait issue. Because I'd rather, I'd rather be seen as a drunk than as a failure in certain categories. Do you know how misleading that is? Do you know what a lie you are believing? See, you, you, all that stuff we just read through in Colossians, if you can get your mind around it, if you can get your mind around the fact that God forgives you, and He loves you, and He's given you His Spirit, He's lavished, and He's in a relationship with you. If you start getting the acceptance of God right in your life, you're really not going to care all that much about whether somebody in the back row thinks you're doing a good job or not. Something greater has conquered that concern that's been eating you up for years. And you can get free, and you can walk away from that thing. Ken Hughes says, For the paralytic, Jesus' query was an eminently significant question. J.A. Finley tells us that in the Middle East and some places today, a man who was healed would lose a good living. So, in fact, there are individuals whose situations are preferable. As the crippled man lay by the pool of Bethesda, he was surrounded by misery and sorrow. But if the man looked out from those shaded porticos, he saw men and women out in the sun carrying their burdens and working. He knew that if he were healed, his life would take on larger responsibilities. 
And so the question the Lord asked was very relevant. Do you really want to be healed? Matt, would you go ahead and come? I have to be honest with my life. And, and let me say, I know I'm, I'm dealing with a, a broad range of issues in this topic. Freedom has got a broad range of issues here with it. I, I'm not attempting to qualify every statement. I, I am not trying to say that, that, that all this thought applies exactly the same way, whether you are on the edge of something that would be truly a mental disorder. Uh, or, but let me just say this. You live in a world that wants to call everything a mental disorder. Everything is trying to be labeled that. Okay, it simply isn't the case. The Bible calls it outbursts of anger. You, you don't have anger management disorder. You're a hothead who doesn't have self-control. And if you keep making the same decisions and beliefs that you're making, you're going to keep being a hothead who doesn't have self-control. I don't care what title you put on it. I'm, I'm sure the whole porn thing's about to get a label. You know, it's going to get some label... And, you know, as soon as you create some of these labels, it, it, it makes no one responsible. Not responsible for that. It's a disorder. Can you agree with me in all the passages that we read today? The Bible expects something of our lives. Can you disagree with me on that? Can you agree with the Bible makes us responsible for some things in our lives? If your label, your jail cell, your description of what you're experiencing is removing from you responsibility, then, then you have gone to a place where the Bible isn't going with you. You have traveled on alone. And the question this morning, do you want to be healed? Do you really, really want to get out of that jail cell? Are you ready to part ways with the bait that got you there in the first place? Are you willing to stop avoiding displeasure? I don't want to fail. I enjoy laziness. I don't want to take a risk. Well, why? I'm afraid of what people will think. So the bait to get you into a cell is the fear of man. The fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. But listen, I know, man, if you guys, you guys are new to the church and you, you hang around me beating on these topics, at some point you're going to think I'm very unkind and very unsympathetic and very uncaring. Um, all I can do is tell you it couldn't be further from the truth. One, I'm preaching the Word of God here. If I'm sitting having a counseling session with you, I'll cry across the table with you. I can't, I can't possibly address everybody's issues. But I, I have to tell you this. If you relabel all your problems, you're going to make this Bible close to you. If you start calling everything in your life different than what the Bible calls it, then you really can't find freedom in this book. Because the stuff you're trying to get free from isn't in here. 
You have a drunkenness problem? It's in here. It's not dressed up the way you're used to hearing it dressed up, but it's in here. Let's stand up together. Right now, I pray for your spirit to give us some insights here in this moment. To inform us, Lord, truth liberates us. Truth from your lips liberates us. Right now, Lord, by the Spirit, would you be informing the minds and the hearts of each of us here as to the bait that drew us to the particular jail cell that we have found ourselves living in. What was it that I was perhaps trying to avoid that drew me to this place? Lord, how do I need to trust You now and believe You and believe Your ideas versus the ideas that got me here? Lord, what pleasure do I come back to over and over and over again? Because I enjoy the pleasure. I hate the regret. I don't like the consequences. But I enjoy the pleasure. Oh Lord, would you in this moment reveal that truth to those who struggle, whether it's alcohol or drugs or gambling or pornography or whatever it is. Reveal the truth. Let us own the responsibility of being able to say, I take another drink because I like what it does to me. I eat another bite because I like it. Lord, I know that's not as pretty sounding, but it reveals the real issue of my heart. My heart wants pleasure. And what I need to know, Lord, I know trusting You will help us in this in the coming weeks. What I need to know is that your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, would you win our hearts once again to inform us that whatever the bait is selling, you've got something better, something longer lasting, something more rewarding, something without regret, something that ultimately brings glory to you, Lord. raise the question for us what do I really want why am I in this cell what is in this cell that I really really want or what's outside the cell that I really am trying to avoid oh God be kind to us let revelation by the spirit come Lord you are a liberator and we have been tricked and we find ourselves inside of a trap But it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. So Lord, overcome the bait in our lives. Open our eyes to a greater bait. To a more lovely choice. To truth that will transform us. That will bring joy that no one can take from us. Oh God, convince our hearts. As we close, and I want us to close in song. Lord, would you, would you break the news to us? 
about our responsibility. And would you let us know if I have need of repenting because I have chosen selfish pleasure instead of your truth and believing you. And Lord, would you speak to us? Get our attention. Get us believing and speak to us. Keith, rise. Take up your pallet and go home. Yes, God. All I.